It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for Midweek with Manish, the beat reporter and columnist covering the New York Jets for the New York Daily News, Mr. Manish Mehta. Manish, you recently wrote in the Daily News about something that Joe Douglas is going to have to succeed at, that his predecessor, and let's be honest, the two guys before him, Tannenbaum and Idzik, were terrible at, which is hitting on draft picks on day three. Now, it's obviously not a slam dunk when you're talking about rounds four through seven, but the successful teams are the ones that at least get useful players in those rounds because, as we know, Manish, especially when you have a quarterback who's paid a lot of money, you need to be able to hit on cheap players that can come in and do something for you because that's the only way that you're going to stay competitive if that much of your cap is tied up in your quarterback. Jets aren't going to have to deal with that for a little bit, but still, having those players that you hit on late in the draft becomes a very, very important thing for building a sustainable winner. So let's talk about this a little bit. Where do you think Mike McCagnan went wrong, and what is Joe Douglas going to have to do to change that? Well, I I think if you reduce it to simplest terms, he's just going to have to unearth players that aren't household (laughs) names or uh, guys on the marquee coming out of college. What was interesting to me is that of the 20 players that McCagnan drafted on day three, so rounds four through seven, of those 20 players in five drafts, only six of them are under contract for next season. Only eight of them played uh, for the Jets last year. Now, Brandon Shell and Lachlan Edwards are scheduled to be unrestricted free agents. Uh, I don't believe Brandon Shell has any chance of returning as a starter. We'll see if they bring him back as a backup because, again, I don't know what his market value is, but I would anticipate that Shell would not be back. Lachlan Edwards, even though I believe uh, has been productive, now he's played in every game since he got drafted, 64 games in four years. Uh, I don't necessarily believe that Adam Gase believes in Lachlan Edwards because if you remember, the Jets actually had a punting competition in training camp. They brought in a punter who had uh, worked, I should say, who had played for Adam Gase in Miami. Uh, They didn't have a kicking competition, which made no sense because of how erratic that position was, but they did have a punting competition, and that leads me to believe that maybe Adam Gase isn't necessarily sold on Edwards. Uh, We'll see if they bring Edwards back. But, uh, you know, six of 20 players under contract from day three over the last five years, that's not a good hit rate. And I'm not saying that you need to find Pro Bowl players on day three because that's exceedingly difficult. Uh, But you need more production out of that position. And if you take away Edwards, you've got 19 players who were drafted as offensive or defensive players. Of those 19, uh, only 
they've only generated 86 starts. And Brandon Shell, believe it or not, had the most of those 86 starts. He had 40 of them. So if you take Brandon Shell out of the equation, that leaves 18 offensive and defensive players drafted between rounds four and seven in the Mike McCagnan regime. And of those, in those 18 players, those 18 players produced 46 starts. So on average of basically two and a half starts per player. Um, that's just not good enough. You need more production. Uh, what I thought was interesting is that McCagnan really whiffed on day three in his first three drafts, complete whiffs. But in the last two drafts that he had, he actually found guys who had some promise, uh, chief among them, Chris Herndon. Now Herndon obviously missed last season, but I think every Jet fan would admit that you know he's a, a player with potential. Uh, Foley Fadakasi is another guy who kind of had a redshirt rookie year, but then showed promise this past season. Blake Cashman, uh, if he can ever stay healthy, showed that you know he can be a productive player in a complementary role, uh, as in a backup role, but still somebody who you know can give you something in, in you know on defense, special teams, and then we already mentioned Bless Austin, who was also taken uh, in the final day of McCagnan's final draft. So you've got you know a handful of players who could. Uh, be productive for you in his last two seasons. The first three seasons were complete whiffs. You know, Jarvis Harrison, Justin Burris, Jeremy Clark, Dylan Donahue, Chad Hansen. You know, some of these guys are not even in the NFL right now. So, uh, you know, you ask me what what is what does Joe Douglas need to do differently? I mean, I think it's as simple as you know finding players that nobody else you know or very few people are in love with, and that's just not. Uh, Joe Douglas's responsibility. Obviously, the ultimate responsibility falls on Joe Douglas, but that goes to his scouting staff. And his scouting staff, by and large, is you know similar to Mike McCagnan's scouting staff. So we're talking about the the same core group of people. Now, can they find these guys who can you know be mainstays, who can actually be on the team beyond one, two, three, or four years? You know, five years from now, if Joe Douglas is still around. Uh, uh, he needs to have more than six of 20 players under contract. You know, he needs to have, you know, at least 50% uh, of the guys he drafted on day three still be around in some capacity and helping out, you know, in, in, in some capacity, having some role. And, you know, we've discussed, I know Jet fans have discussed Mike McCagney's track record uh, throughout the draft, but you know, it's a lot easier. And even though McCagney has his pitfalls early, it's a lot easier to find players, in the top six or the top three who can be productive for you. It's much more difficult, and it really separates you as a general manager when you hit on day three. And I think a lot of good general managers, not all of them, some of them are just great in free agency, but I think a lot of good general managers are able to unearth some of these guys. And frankly, I don't know if Joe Douglas can do that. I know just looking at his drafts in Philadelphia, and this is unfair to a certain extent because – Douglas did not have final say, but he certainly had a role in the process. When you look at his drafts in Philadelphia, to be honest with you, they they weren't particularly impressive. Uh, but again, there's a lot of nuance involved. Howie Roseman uh, obviously had the final say as the general manager. Uh, their owner, Jeffrey Lurie, I believe had uh, some role in, in some picks as well. So it's unfair to just look at all of those drafts in Philly and say, well, they weren't that good, so why should we believe in Joe Douglas? Uh, that being said, you cannot absolve Joe Douglas of responsibility because he was one of the chief decision makers you know, in that core group. And when you look at that 
you know, those drafts when he was in Philly, I, they they just weren't particularly impressive. I, I think you know, you, you know, you can just look at the names and they weren't jumping off the page. So, uh, is there some concern? You know, perhaps I think it's more of an unknown because now Joe Douglas is going to have the final say, and we're going to find out a lot over the next several years because you're not going to you know judge uh, a draft after one season. But you're going to you know get an idea of you know what Joe Douglas is all about and whether he can mine some of that talent that uh, you know some teams overlook. The draft is arguably the most important part of what Joe Douglas is going to have to do in terms of constructing the roster. But he's also going to have to decide who he wants to bring in as a free agent. He's going to have to decide who he wants to keep as far as who's already here. And that's not just internal free agents, but also guys that are under contract that he has to decide whether or not he wants to move on from. So Manish, I wanted to go through some of these with you and see what you think in terms of odds of them being back with the Jets in 2020. Let's start in the secondary. We know Tremaine Johnson's going to be gone. What's the story with Daryl Roberts? Yeah, I don't think... Uh, I, 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 I'll put it this way. I think it makes financial sense to move on from Daryl Roberts because he's making $6 million, which is probably more than what his production suggested he should make. Now, he was coming off a career season uh, in 2018, and he got rewarded uh, with a, a, you know, a, a good contract. But he's coming off a forgettable season in 2019. Uh, that being said, uh, you know he's not chopped liver. I, I think he can still be an important piece to the to the secondary. Whether that mean maybe that means in a you know a complementary backup role. I just don't know if paying six million dollars for a backup cornerback makes much sense. Uh, maybe you want him to test the market, see what else is out there. But uh, from a financial sense, clearing six million dollars off your cap uh, would make the most sense. Uh, so that's a roundabout way of me saying that you know, just from a nuts and bolts numbers perspective, I think it would make sense to cut Daryl Roberts. How about Avery Williamson? Well, Avery Williamson is, is interesting because uh, there was a chance that Avery Williamson would have been traded before the start of the 2019 season if he did not get hurt in Atlanta in that preseason game. Uh, they were open to moving him. Uh, you know, He's owed uh, about $8.5 million dollars. They don't have much dead money, maybe a quarter of that in dead money. So they'll save $6 million and change somewhere in that neighborhood if they cut him. He's an inside linebacker. Uh, as you know and every Jet fan knows, C.J. Mosley is also an inside linebacker, and he's making uh, more than $17 million, or he's counting, I should say, more than $17 million against the 2020 cap, uh, investing $25, 26000000 million at the inside linebacker position is a little bit dicey. And, and, and I've said this before. If uh, Joe Douglas were the general manager heading into free agency last year, he would have never signed C.J. Mosley uh, for that price tag, specifically because that's a lot of money to invest in an inside linebacker. But Joe Douglas cannot do anything about that because for all intents and purposes, Mosley has a three-year deal. He's going to get his guaranteed money uh, in his first three years. So he's not going anywhere. So you're going to have that big chunk of your cap allotted to your inside linebacker. Uh, I don't think it makes, frankly, much sense to pour in an additional eight, nine million dollars for a second inside linebacker when you got fairly good production out of that second inside linebacker position from lesser-known guys, whether it was Neville Hewitt, James Burgess. Uh, I think the Jets would be okay and fine, frankly, with one of those guys plugging in at that spot. 
So if you can save six and a half million dollars by cutting Avery Williamson, that's probably the smart thing to do. Uh, you know, my gut, and I don't know definitively yet, but my gut tells me that Avery Williamson will no longer be a Jet uh, in a few weeks. Let's shift to the offense and start with Brian Winters. What do you think is going to happen there? I think they're going to move on from Brian Winters. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense financially. There is no dead money. They save about $7 million. Uh, and, and Brian Winters, you know, he's a Jet draft pick, uh, uh, really a good teammate. Uh, guy <laughs> has an incredible pain threshold. So that should tell you how much pain he was actually in, that he had to be put on IR and ultimately had surgery. Uh, he gets banged up a lot. He, he, you know, he's creeping up on 30. I think he's about 20. I, I don't know if he's 29 yet, but he's he's getting close to 30. Uh, I think that the Jets' plan is to revamp the offensive line, and that includes uh, the guard spot. Uh, they do want to bring back Alex Lewis, so that's a guy I, I believe they'll they'll resign. Uh, I think, however, the other guard spot's going to come uh, via free agency in all likelihood, and. Uh, you know, for as good of a teammate as Brian Winters has been, I don't think, I don't think he'll be back uh, at least at his current salary. You know, who knows what his market value is going to be because he, he is coming off surgery. Is there potential to bring him back at, at a reduced rate later? Perhaps. I guess it all depends on what his market is going to be. I don't know what his market is going to be, but I think in terms of bringing him back at his current contract, you know, seven plus million dollars, I don't think that's going to happen. Here's one that's going to be somewhat controversial. Quincy Inunua, considering everything that went down with the injury and then the problem that he had with the front office and the coaching staff when he went on social media and went public with what was going on. He's a fan favorite. We know that he's good when he's healthy, but he's very rarely healthy. We don't even know if he's going to be able to play again because of numerous neck injuries. What do you think is going to happen there? I don't think that uh, Quincy is going to be playing for the Jets again. Uh, I, I, you know, my gut tells me that Quincy is no longer going to be playing football. We'll see if that comes to fruition. But I, I, you know, I firmly believe he will not be a Jet. Uh, what's interesting and what will be the sticking point is when he gets his physical, whether he can pass his physical or fail his physical. Uh, you know, That line of demarcation is early in the league year. I don't remember what day it is, but it's basically a month from now. He's got $6 million that's guaranteed for injury. Uh, he also, remember, now is under contract uh, for 2021, and he's got guaranteed money coming. Uh, part of that money in 2021 is also guaranteed. So let's just say he fails his physical. And if the Jets cut him, it's an interesting dynamic because he's going to get about $10 million if they cut him. Uh, and if they do that, there's an exorbitant cost on this 2020 salary cap somewhere in the neighborhood of, I don't remember, $10, $12 million, something like that. So it doesn't actually behoove the Jets to cut him uh, if he fails his physical because they'd be on the hook for about $10 million. Uh, the cap ramifications for this year would be 10 to $12 million. Uh, there's a way that uh, you can put him on a, on a PUP list uh, and he won't be playing. I, I don't think it's going to necessarily matter for him because, again, I don't think he's going to be playing football. Uh, that's just my gut feeling. Uh, you could cut him a year from now, and you'd still owe him some money, but it wouldn't be. You know, I, I think that I think there's a lot of gray area with Anunua. If the Jets want to play hardball, uh, I they, I guess they could do that. If they do that, I would fully anticipate Anunua going after the ten million or so uh, million dollars that he has uh, owed to him. Uh, it, you know, in, in some in a grievance through the. Uh, 
NFL Players Association, uh, that will happen if the Jets try to, you know, for lack of a better word, screw him out of the $10 million that he believes he's owed. Uh, there is no, you know, uh, there is no clean break unless the Jets are willing to absorb the big salary cap hit in 2020 and pay him $10 million. If they do that, it's a clean break. Uh, you know, thank you for your service, and both parties kind of move on. Uh, but anything short of that could get a little dicey. But uh, I don't believe, uh, when it's all said and done, that Quincy Nunnemull will ever play a game with the Jets again. Manish, let's go around the horn in terms of Jets players that are free agents internally and see what we think as far as how likely it is that they're going to return in 2020. In the secondary, there are three guys, one specifically that everybody talks about is Brian Poole, but the other two who started a fair amount of games throughout the season were Arthur Millette and Maurice Kennedy. How likely do you think it is that those three guys come back? Wow, you're digging deep. Arthur Millette. Uh, Look, I think there's a place for Arthur Millette. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. Maybe you can help me out. I don't know what his salary cap ramification would be. Oh, you're saying he's an unrestricted free agent. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. All these guys that uh, I'm about to mention are unrestricted free agents. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess if you get him for the cheap, on the cheap, you, you could bring him back. Uh, same thing with, with Kennedy. I, I would think that Greg Williams has, you know, gotten a, a good enough sample size, whether he knows whether he wants those guys back. And this, look, this will probably be a Greg Williams decision. He doesn't have control, control of the 53 man roster. Of course, that goes to Joe Douglas, but, uh, you know, if there are other guys that are going to shake free and available, and I can't honestly and intelligently speak on like third and fourth tier cornerbacks who are going to be free agents. I just don't know off the top of my head who they are. Uh, I don't know if there's somebody that has grabbed Greg Williams's attention. Uh, you know, these guys, if they do come back, these are going to be guys that are going to be later signings. Uh, there isn't going to be any kind of real market for any of them. So uh, perhaps these are guys they bring back after the draft because, remember, they can fortify through the draft, bringing cornerbacks in. Uh, they're not priorities. I think that's a, a fair thing for me to say. Uh, and ultimately, you know, if you're going to bring a depth guy back uh, a week or two after the draft uh, or maybe before training camp, maybe you do that. But uh, I think it's uh, you know fair to conclude that neither one of those guys is going to be in high demand. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com.
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's talk linebacker now because the Jets have a couple of guys that started a lot of games for them this year, partially due to injury, but still, we brought them up before. James Burgess is a free agent. Neville Hewitt is also a free agent. Brandon Copeland is a free agent. And the big one, Jordan Jenkins, also a free agent. What do you think with those guys? Neville Hewitt's a useful player. Uh, he's a guy that Adam Gase liked from his time in uh, Miami. Uh, with Hewitt, it's always about health. Uh, you know, he dealt with the neck stinger. He had previously dealt with neck issues in Miami. Uh, he's a good player, uh, you know, for the price, with, without a doubt. I think he's a productive player for the price. He's a guy I think you can bring back. Uh, James Burgess, same thing. James Burgess was a guy that uh, Greg Williams obviously had experience working with in Cleveland, and he surprised. He did a lot better than I thought, and he's going to be cheap. So uh, I think it would make sense to bring him back. He understands the system. He was productive. Uh, you're not expecting miracles uh, you know, out of those guys. So I, I would bring both of those guys back because, again, they're going to be affordable. They're familiar with the system. They're familiar with this coaching staff, and, and they were productive. You know, they're not going to be pro bowlers, but they were quality players, and you, you, you need pieces like that uh, to fill out your roster and your depth. And you know, we talked about the struggles that McCagnan had on day three, well, that's where you get your depth from. You get it from you know, acquiring good players uh, late in the draft and from picking up good finds uh, late in free agency or lower-level guys who understand what you're trying to do, uh, you know, whether it's offensively or defensively, and guys that you don't have to commit a lot of money to. And you know, I think that Hewitt and Burgess fall into that category. Three offensive linemen who started a significant number of games for the Jets in 2019 are unrestricted free agents. Alex Lewis, Kelvin Beecham, and Brandon Shell. How likely do you think it is that those three guys return? Well, I think Lewis will be back. Um, they, they will make an effort to bring back Lewis. Beecham, to me, is fascinating. He, he really is because he was their best offensive lineman. Uh, I thought he was productive. Uh, he played with a, with an ankle injury for a few games. Uh, you know, he's a leader, one of the team captains, highly respected in the building. Uh, I don't know what kind of market he's going to get, but uh, I know that the Jets are going to be looking for tackles, right tackle, left tackle, in free agency, in the draft. Uh, 
I know that they value him. I don't know how much they value him from a dollar's perspective. Uh, you know, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, and I guess it depends on who else they bring in free agency. If they sign a right tackle in free agency, if they sign an interior lineman in free agency, and they bring back Beecham, and then they draft a tackle with the 11th pick if they don't trade up or down. Let's just say that that's the scenario. Uh, I, I, think there's a, I think that's a smart approach. I know there's other smart approaches, but I think that bringing Beecham back, drafting a young tackle, and then having that young tackle ultimately replace Beecham in 2021 kind of makes sense. You know, I, I look at the Eagles and, and what they did this past season, you know, drafting Andre Dillard uh, to ultimately take over for Jason Peters. Uh, I think they're happy with that choice. You know, they were happy with bringing the veteran back, and they were happy with trading up for this young tackle who they believe can ultimately be their left tackle for the next decade. I think they could take a similar approach with Beecham. Now, I do know that they want one of their starting tackles, at least one, to come from free agency. So I guess that leads me to the third guy, Brandon Shell. Brandon Shell will not be the starting right tackle for the Jets. Uh, I don't think he'll be back. Uh, would I rule out the possibility that he could come back on a cheap deal as a backup? Uh, no, I, I can't rule that out right now, but they don't view him as the future at right tackle. Because remember, they still have Chuma and Doga on their rookie on his rookie deal, and he can play, in theory, uh, both positions. Now, he didn't play particularly well as a rookie, but that doesn't mean that you know, he can't develop and grow. Uh, I just think that you know, bringing back Beecham, drafting a tackle, uh, and having that tackle perhaps play on the right side, uh, depending on who they bring in, in free agency, or... Uh, Flip starting on the right side, flipping to the left side. There's just a lot of different options that, uh, and a lot of different, uh, a lot of uh, flexibility that you can bring if you re-sign Beecham. Now, if they move on from Beecham, then they're going to have to answer that left tackle spot in free agency. I don't believe that they're going to draft a tackle at 11 and then ask that guy from week one to protect Sam Darnold's blind side. I think they want a veteran on the left side. Uh, ideally, they'd want a veteran on both sides, but uh, you know, at least for 2020. But uh, but I know that they ultimately want to solve one of their tackle positions for the next decade in the draft, and that will, uh, in all likelihood, come in on day one. If not, it'll come day two. So uh, you know, Beecham. Uh, you know, if I had to handicap it, I would say there's a probably a 40% chance he comes back, so a better than likely chance that he does not come back. Uh, it probably won't be for lack of trying because I think they'll make an offer. I just, you know, left tackles are in such a rare supply that, uh, you know, perhaps he'll get another opportunity somewhere else. Uh, but, you know, 40-60, those are not great odds. So yeah, that's essentially me saying 50-50 that I don't know. But uh, but what I do know is that uh, Brandon Show will not be the right tackle and uh, they would like Alex Lewis to come back. When it's all said and done, I, I think you're going to be looking at probably three new starters along the offensive line should also mention that Tom Compton is a free agent as well and he started a fair amount of games for the Jets do you think he comes back and do you think there's any chance that we see Ty Montgomery or Bilal Powell back in 2020 Tom Compton you'll see how the free agency in the draft shakes out before determining whether they want to bring him back remember they signed him late uh, this past season if they decide to bring him back uh, it wouldn't be until later, until they, their picture crystallizes you know, from free agency. 
uh, and they get a good sense of what they might need in terms of uh, a quality, reliable backup who is cheap, and that's the category that Tom Compton falls under. Uh, in terms of Ty Montgomery and Bilal Powell, yeah, that's really interesting because Bilal Powell was he was effective, you know, in limited times he was he was effective. Uh, Adam Gates trusts him, and, and that goes a long way. That matters, but you do have to when you're looking at Bilal Powell and Ty Montgomery, you kind of have to weigh what else is out there and what other free agents are available uh, that could fulfill a role that Adam Gates deems as valuable. Because yes. Gase trusts Bilal Powell. When he looked at what he had in the running back room, he really liked what he saw in Bilal Powell. And remember, they brought Bilal Powell back, I believe, after McCagnan was fired. I don't think Mike McCagnan had any designs on re-signing Bilal Powell. That was more Adam Gase-driven, and that has value. You know, as I mentioned about Greg Williams, you know, bringing back guys that he likes. Uh, Adam Gase is going to have an opportunity to bring back guys that he likes, especially guys that are going to be cheap. And that's what Ty Montgomery and Bilal Powell will be. I don't believe that Joe Douglas is going to stand in Adam Gase's way, nor should he, when it comes to players of that caliber, that ilk. If, they're, if your coach uh, and your defensive coordinator want somebody because they think that they make the most sense for their scheme and they're going to call you, cost you peanuts, relatively speaking, then you would be doing a disservice as a general manager if you didn't oblige, if you didn't help your head coach and your defensive coordinator in this situation. So... I really think when you're talking about guys like Bilal Powell, Ty Montgomery, backup running backs, I really do think that Adam Gase, rightfully so, is going to have a big say in who comes back because, again, it won't be a big financial commitment and it's not going to be something that's going to strain Joe Douglas in terms of uh, stretching the salary cap or trying to fit a guy in uh, and making adjustments with other players' contracts to fit a guy in. These guys are... The simple contracts, pretty seamless deals, cheap deals, and if Gase wants a particular player, he should get him. And now the big one, Manish. Let's talk a little wide receiver. Do you think Demarius Thomas is coming back? Okay, that's not really the big <laughs> part of this, but he is a free agent, so I'm curious to know if you think there's any chance he comes back even on a one-year deal. Gase seems to like him. Of course, the big one is Robbie Anderson. He's going to have plenty of options. We know that. It looks like he's going to get a lot of money, and he deserves it because he is the top of the free agent class, and if you look at what Tyrell Williams got last year, seems like a little bit of a bump from that would make some sense. What do you think here? Does Robbie end up staying? And is it possible that Demarius Thomas comes back for another year? I think if Robbie Anderson comes back, it will be because the market wasn't what he thought it would be for him. Because I do not believe that the Jets are going to outbid another team for Robbie Anderson. I think they value him to a certain extent, but they aren't going to break the bank for him when I do think that there is another team out there, and I'm not saying I know the other team, but I'm saying that there will be another suitor out there that is willing to pay more for Robbie, and I don't believe that Joe Douglas is going to get into any kind of bidding situation or bidding war to retain Robbie Anderson. That's not to say that they don't think he's a quality player and they don't think he'd be good for them, because they do. It's just a matter of putting a value, a financial value, on every player and I don't believe that you know, their maximum for Robbie Anderson is going to match the maximum that another team is going to have for him. So if he comes back, that means that there would be a depressed market 
for wide receivers in free agency. And I don't believe there will be because when you look at the potential free agents, Amari Cooper, if he somehow hits the open market, I don't think he will. I think the Cowboys will keep him in-house. But if he does hit the open market, he obviously would be the headliner. A.J. Green is 31 years old. I don't believe that he's a good fit for the Jets. I don't believe that he thinks the Jets are a good fit for him. So he's off the table. And then you have Robbie Anderson, who is hitting the prime of his career, 26, 27 years old. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of good football in Robbie Anderson. I don't know if he becomes a Pro Bowl player or not, but I do think he, he, can, he can improve as a player. And he has shown that he can improve as a player. Now, it's been really disjointed because he showed that he can improve as a player toward the end of 2018 and then sputtered through the first half, three quarters of 2019, and then showed that he can improve at the end of 2019 as well. So uh, I think that it would be beneficial for the Jets to bring him back. I would pay him uh, you know, $12 million, $13 million, whatever it is, I do not believe that Joe Douglas will do that. Uh, the only reason I'm saying that I would pay him is because the Jets have uh, so much cap space. And, yes, they're going to use a lot of cap space on offensive line and other positions. Uh, edge rusher, uh, if there's somebody suitable out there that shakes free. But I still think there's enough space available to bring back Robbie Anderson. I just don't think the Jets will do it. I think they'll bring in a, uh, you know, a veteran guy, stopgap guy. And there's a ton of wide receivers in this draft. This is a very – wide receiver friendly draft if you're looking for somebody at that position you can get somebody and not at number 11 i would not anticipate the jets would have any real interest in drafting a receiver at 11 however you can get somebody in round two in round three now day two you can get a difference making player at the wide receiver position in the draft i think you can get somebody early in day three as well that's how deep i think this position is and that's how deep i think scouts general managers player evaluators across the league think. So uh, I, I think the Jets will be content with going that route, bringing in a stopgap guy. Uh, you know, in terms of Demarius Thomas, look, Demarius Thomas is a really a solid, solid guy. He's a great leader. People in that room really respect him. Uh, he does things the right way. Uh, I think, however, the Jets saw that, uh, a guy like Vincent Smith could be productive in his place, uh, you know, at peanuts, you know, uh, peanuts compared to what they'd have to pay the veteran minimum for Demarius Thomas. I also think you have to factor in uh, when Chris Herndon comes back, you'll have Chris Herndon and Ryan Griffin playing, uh, you know, having those two guys really not that much different than having Demarius Thomas take up one of those spots as well. So, you know, having those two healthy tight ends could help you, uh, you know, say thanks but no thanks to bringing back Demarius Thomas so even though uh, Adam Gase has a you know a history a good history with Demarius Thomas and really respects him uh, uh, immensely I, I just don't think that it makes much sense to bring him back uh, I'm not saying that they won't but that's really in the, the back burner of their thinking if he's not anybody who's going to be that they're going to be racing to resign I don't think I think that if Demarius Thomas comes back, there are going to be a lot of disappointed Jets fans. And I think that if Robbie Anderson doesn't come back, there's going to be a lot of disappointed Jets fans. And I think there's a decent chance that those two things happen. So buckle up because things are about to get interesting. Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. Thanks for coming on. As always, really appreciate it. Go ahead and follow Manish on Twitter. Read his work in the New York Daily News. 
If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, go ahead and do that if you could, please. If you enjoy the show, it's an easy way to help us out. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it does a lot for us, so we'd really appreciate it. And, of course, as always, for the latest and greatest the New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.